This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome to all my automotive aftermarket peoples. It's Carm Capriato, Town Hall Academy from Remarkable Results Radio. Good to have you here as we work so hard to advance the aftermarket in your not only personal but business success. Now, no doubt, no doubt you've done some heavy thinking about your future, now, your business's future, your personal future, your family's future, the industry's future. And uh, the more we have these open dialogues about this, I think the better for us to make important decisions. So we'll be relevant in the not-too-distant future. Love for you to meet my panel today. Jennifer Mahar, Executive Director, TechForce, TechForce.org. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Carm. Good to have you here. Matt Fonzo's here, shop manager, lead diagnostician, Riverside Automotive, Red Wing, Minnesota. Hi, Matt. Hello, sir. So we have not only Jennifer on board, who is going to you know talk to us about the the technicians we need for our future, but Matt being a guy in the bays, and also the Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket podcast A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network, and Derek Kaufman, managing partner of uh, Schwartz Advisors. Derek is constantly scanning future trends in vehicle design and aftermarket challenges, including. How recent events in EVs are affecting our near-term and longer-term futures. Hey, Carm. Good to be here. Glad you're here, man. Shop owner Dustin Brown, owner of Brown's Auto Experts. Now, three locations or four now? Currently three. Hopefully, we'll get to number four in the next couple of months, though. Every time I bring out a new shop owner, I have to stop and ask, is there a new shop in your future? And it's amazing how so many say, yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up. Three locations, New Mexico, in the New Mexico area, Albuquerque, Village of Los Ranchos, and the Rio Rancho area. So glad you are all here. Let's uh, stop for a moment, give high fives to our great sponsors. You know, deliver cars to clients faster so they get their wheels sooner and you save valuable time at the front counter. With remote payments, you also get your money sooner without having to chase down your debts. It's just another reason to get Shopware.com. Are you up to date on your training? Delphi Technologies is proud to offer over 30 courses run by ASC certified technicians for professionals. Turn the OE aftermarket supplier with over 100 years of experience. Yeah, they're there for you. Inquire today at DelphiAftermarket.com. Dustin, I want to start it off with you. From a shop owner's perspective, there are a whole bunch of things that we still need to do today in order to meet the call for the future. We've got around, what, top shop and top notch shops, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the consumer's expectation is becoming higher, right? They expect more out of us. They expect clean waiting rooms. They expect professionalism. They expect technicians that know what they're doing. Uh, they expect digital inspections and education. They expect when they bring the vehicles to us that we're going to get it done right. They're going to get it done right the first time. So that's just uh, that's some basic stuff. You know, that hasn't changed in years, though. I'd love to ask Matt a little later about the tools because, man, this guy, Matt, is into tools and, and he's probably seen the future of tools since he uh, does a lot of beta stuff. But let's take the big uh, elephant in the room, Derek. Let's go to you next. 
you know, when we talk about the future, we think about ADAS, we think about EVs, we think about government mandates. Start us off with your special think. The way we see it uh, kind of unfolding is a little bit different than maybe the headlines that would, would have you think that, you know, we're, we're going all battery electric vehicle vehicles by 2030. You know, we're actually forecasting a VIO that kind of grows very slowly. Uh, we're looking at something over 7% by 2030, a little under 30% by 2040. And even in 2050, we think the, the VIO is kind of 50-50 ICER, internal combustion engines and, and BEVs. And you mentioned the technology, and certainly, you know, it's increasing. But, we, you know, we, we see shops uh, moving right at it. And uh, we, we think that shops will adapt over time. Imagine, think about a 30-year-old technician today, and you add up that to 2040. They're still going to be in it thick and deep, which is why training is going to be one of the most critical things we do. Right, Matt? Uh, always. I mean, it should have. It should be now. should have been decades ago, and it will continue to be so, at least for the foreseeable future. Will we ever have a point in time, Matt, where training is just something we don't need because AI and and computers and technology are going to just step in and do everything for us? Well, I think, yeah. So I had an angle with that. You know, technology is kind of a double-edged sword, right? In some cases, when you start adding complexity, it makes maybe on the user's side much more, you know, much easier, uh, opens up the number of individuals that can do it uh, or use it. And then on the back end, that's where the complexity occurs. And I suppose we could go down a rabbit hole with artificial intelligence and machine learning with that and kind of challenge that. But the reality is, is there's already stuff coming out that's available that's maybe cost prohibitive for the vast majority of shops to possess, such as a tire change machine, not just one where you wheel to it and it essentially changes the tire for you, but even robotic arms that are taking the tires off the car taking it to the machine, it's changing the tire, maybe testing the TPMS sensor. That needs to get replaced. It will call somebody over to do that. It'll put the tire back on, inflate it, balance it, reinstall it, properly torque it, all that. That's not unrealistic. It's already there. It's just most shops aren't going to have it. Uh, And then, you know, I thought this might come up a little bit later, but I do feel fairly strongly that we're going to see diagnostic decisions taken out of human hands, that we're going to see uh, the vast majority of diagnostic decisions made by a system, whether it's artificial intelligence or just a better process that's automated. You know, we'll see what happens. They'll probably start out with one and end up the other. We'll see that. They tried it earlier, namely Volkswagen, BMW really took a shot at it. It had its issues, um, but it's just going to get better. And as Dustin brought up earlier, when you're expecting your techs to know stuff, that's going to drive it because the manufacturers just cannot afford to have people having different service experiences at different dealerships. That's what's going to drive it. I got to ask a, this question to Matt team. Matt, how do you find a short if the human isn't involved? Is it, is it going to be that sophisticated? What I foresee, right, is that the technician will be more of an assistant and they're going to have to do the stuff that requires dexterity. Uh, that's one of the big things protecting us from technology is dexterity. Same with plumbers and electricians for houses and stuff. That's Dexterity is going to keep machines or robots out for at least a while. But like you said, 
the system will know that, you know, this fuse blows, this circuit feeds this, it probably can't disconnect the connector. I don't know if we'll get so sophisticated that it'll be able to shut down branches of a circuit itself, you know, through like a control module. So somebody's going to have to be there and it will tell them through whatever means, a video, uh, augmented reality, something of that nature, how to do it. It'll show you what connector. I want connector X100 disconnected. Technician will do it. And then it will look at re- the results and just start drilling down to where the issue is. And then it will say, this issue has to be from this point to this point. And then it will instruct the technician on how to properly repair that butt connectors or whatever. See, this is way different than I had planned because I was thinking every shop is just going to have like some precogs out of a minority report where we have people laying in like a hot tub and a ball drops into our shopware or Napa track system and we call the customer and like, hey, your ball joint is going to break on the 19th. You got to get here. <laughs> right. I mean, th- think about the sensors on the bearings on the EVs, Derek, and them being smart enough to know when the life cycle of that unit is done and we repair it. We don't diagnose anything. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Matt's making a really good point here. And, I, you know, we're watching kind of carefully where power modules uh, will go. Uh, will shops or technicians just be component removers and replacers? Or are shops going to get into, you know, board level stuff uh, where they're actually pulling MOSFETs off of boards or down to the printed circuit board level of, of actually analyzing chips and going going forward. Interesting to know, and obviously uh, that ups uh, the diagnostic skill uh, even more. I certainly agree that you know more AI will be in diagnostics, more over the air stuff, you know, to do that. But you know, frankly, I I think the dexterity idea is really critical, and I'd never thought of it. Uh, now I'm glad that I'm on this call because I never thought of it that way. That the technician's dexterity is a differentiator. I want to go back to one of the points that you make, Derek, about what the future shop may look like as far as circuit boarding and ADAS. But I want to go to Jennifer next. Jennifer, we're going to need still some pretty great young talent joining our industry. And I don't mean young to be out of high school or college, but we need to be able to seed our industry with some really great talent. And that's what Tech Force is all about. We are. We're a nonprofit that's really helping people discover this profession because we do think it's the new collar career. And that for those who love problem solving, working with their hands and technology, what could you ask for, right? These are computers on wheels. I think, you know, what's been said is we're going to still have a huge variety of vehicles in our lives over the next 30 years. So I think the myriad of choices and opportunities is actually what's exciting for young people because you're going to still have collectibles and restoration and people who have billions of dollars out there in um, collectibles that need to be maintained and those investments watched, right? And it kept whole, but then you're going to have ice vehicles and they're going to still be on the roads and people have to be able to work on those. And then you have hybrids and all the electrical that's already in the place and just increasing that technology, but then put that on steroids as to what's coming down the pipe with the future of mobility. Well, how exciting is that? for a whole generation who wants to be a part of this revolution that's going to take place in mobility. And I think that our own language is stagnant. We don't know what to call it. We used to call them mechanics. Well, that's not appropriate. And now we call them technicians. Well, are they going to be technicians or technologists or mobility engineers as all of this other technology comes onto it? But I do think that 
the human is not going to be replaced anytime soon. I do think they will be more augmented and yet new jobs will open up. So you'll have uh, technicians who need to work on the charging stations and the power grids. And as we talk about ADAS and, you know, the incredible uh, safety measures that have to go into making sure that these repairs are done right uh, in order to keep people safe. Uh, all of that, I think, again, we're not going to in any time soon completely trust the computers and the robots to do that for us. And I think the Myriad will keep us our technicians in business for quite a long time. Well, we are still in the people business. I want to drop an idea that we don't have to flush out, but I was recently with John DeJulius. I've interviewed him twice. He's a great author. I saw him do a keynote uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he started out in the beauty salon business and he still owns them in Cleveland, even though he owns multiple businesses. Someone else runs the business, but he was chatting with us and said, when a person would come in, we we're talking about pricing, labor rates kind of thing, you know, in our industry. He said to a client, listen, uh, for all that you need, I need to put my level 10 hairstylist on it. And it hit me like a, a brick wall, a level 10 hairstylist, meaning been there, does that, knows color, knows chemicals, knows all this stuff. And that person is going to be able to give you exactly what it is that you want. And oh, by the way, the level 10 hairstylist costs blank okay ours goes to 11 (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry that was just great because matt must be that 11 but you know we, we go abc technicians and again i'm not saying that we need to change our moniker in our industry but the point is there's another industry that charges for knowledge charges for talent And they're not afraid to tell the customer, listen, I got to put my level A technician, whatever that means. But the number in my mind meant something more than what we call an A tech. Yeah, And we've kind of ran the term or titled mechanic into the ground. The most sophisticated theory of reality is known as quantum mechanics. Nobody thinks that's a dumb idea or a dumb title. But we've made it so mechanics make certain people's hair stand up on the back of their necks because it's now almost a term of condescension. And in a recent series of podcasts with Bob Cooper, he asked a, a panel that was just off the street and he asked them, there were six of them, technician mechanic, and he went right down rapid fire. And every single one of them said the word mechanic. They don't know what technician means in our industry as much as we're trying to change it. So listen, I don't want to go into that rabbit hole right now, but I think it was great to challenge or think on that. What I want to talk about is autonomy and ADAS and to me, the specialty thing. Jennifer brings up such a great point. My God, we're going to have ice engines for years. They're going to, the car I have today is going to be classic in 2040 if I can keep it that long, and I'm going to have to have a place to take it. So we keep talking about specialty shops, Euro, Asian, ADAS specialty shop. Is there going to be an ice engine specialty shop in the future? Or the current shops will end up being that way, you know, and then you'll have more of the EV type, uh, HEV uh, specialty shops, or, you know, maybe just a more tech savvy shop, maybe a diagnostic shop, something like that, that they're going to focus more on, higher, more complex type stuff, the more electrical type stuff, and they're not going to really get into the mechanical stuff. Uh, I could see that, right? Because you're talking about board level repairs. Uh, That mainly happened because we were forced. 
we have the issue of either not being able to get a new part or the new part is price uh, or cost prohibitive to use. So now that's what's kind of forced beyond curiosity to start opening these modules up and trying to service the board itself, whether it's making an actual repair to the board or tools and equipment and software to rewrite things so that they will, a used module will work on a different vehicle. Essentially divorce it from the car it came with and remarry it to the new car. That all came because of necessity. We were forced mm-hmm. to. But I, I agree with Derek. I think it's just going to continue because it, you know, that door has been open now. You know, Carm, as more of the talk about ADOS, and we'll talk about super ADOS in between that and full autonomous, and then finally, you know, autonomous. I just think that regulation and certification of transportation as a service vehicles that are making money based on their revenue generating miles and therefore uptime is absolutely critical and proximity of service is absolutely critical. That just creates all kinds of opportunities for for our industry. And so I I think that in this case, what typically like the term regulation, I always wince when I hear it, uh, but it's going to create service opportunities uh, because, you know, these cars will need to be constantly checked for proper, you know, uh, action of the, of the sensors on them. I think one of the things Derek just said is proximity. And I was at a recent conference on the future of mobility out in LA. And I, one of the things that somewhat blew my mind was the amount of private investment, wealth investing coming into automotive and that it's a real estate game now uh, for a lot of these investors. And so they were talking about trucking and how they're buying up real estate along the corridors, like an I-10 corridor, and that the autonomous trucks will then pull into these centers to be serviced, maintained, uh, and then continue on. And this idea that people are seeing these kind of, you know, pit stops as real estate investments, as much as it is about a service and a maintenance business, was something that kind of did take my breath and go, hmm, and what does that mean for automotive? And as electric vehicles rise or even autonomous and different modes of mobility, what does that become when it becomes the proximity and, you know, real estate for the dealerships becomes more expensive to have these huge lots and they don't need it because you're buying online and da da la la la. What does that shift do to start to make service and repair a place that becomes more of a real estate center than it is your local mom and pop shop or even a dealership service center. So it's just kind of one of those things that when I started thinking about it becomes a real estate game around um, investment, it did kind of stop me in my tracks and go, wow, I got to think about that one for a while. And think everyone about the future of multi-shop operations and where that's heading. Dustin's got three, maybe soon to have four. And who knows what Dustin's plans are, but Maybe when he hits 10, he sells to private equity. And because why? Because they're looking to grow 50, 100, 100, 200 shops that look and feel and work not like the big box stores, but like neighborhood professional service centers. That intimacy with the local customer. It's not hard to spend money in building specialty shops when you got money. I do think when we talk about kind of what is the shop of the future going to look like, I think it was Dustin hit on it earlier. I do think the customers and everybody are going to expect the professionalism to keep up with the technology and that look and feel, right? So 
you know, culinary, you know, we used to be, you know, you're a, a chef in the military or, you know, working at a soup kitchen or something or at a restaurant and then suddenly culinary and now you got TV shows and top chef and everything's stainless steel and gorgeous. It's kind of the same, which is people are not going to trust your shop. If you look like you are not embracing technology and you're not kind of that more stainless steel, cutting edge, clean, well-lit, ventilated, air-conditioned. So, you know, if your shop you've got to come up with that technology, come into that future to be viable. And I'd say the other thing I think, though, that the advancing technology is going to help is diversity in the workforce. We've got a massive shortage, but that's also because less than 3% of techs are women. So technology is going to welcome and allow more women to come into this industry because of those assistance that you can get a tire, you know, robo tire to do a lot of that heavy lifting and assistance but yet you need people to be there and to be part of that solution. That's going to bring women in. So I do think that that'll be kind of a fun shop of the future of getting ready for a diverse workforce. And we should celebrate that because we need them. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's more about puzzle solving rather than grunt work is an attraction to not just women in general, but young people as well. You know, nothing tells a customer they need a new part faster than when they see a worn or broken one in their hands. Now, how do you do that in the digital age? Well, it's actually very easy. Thanks to DVX, you can send photos and videos within its messenger platform. It's like nothing else you've ever seen in an auto repair SMS before. Take the best of an Amazon-like experience and use it in your shop to show customers how great you are. DVX also makes it easy for customers to drop you a quick text or answer in the messenger bubble that arises from the repair order. It's like magic. Customers love seeing what they need to do and giving you a quick answer. You'll see your business's potential right in front of you. Your customers get on with their day and you get back to the repair. Everybody wins. It's time. Take it from me. GetShopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Derek, battery electric vehicles, a whole lot of opportunity in the future with, even though we say there's not a whole lot we can do with them. I know that you've done the research and there will be a lot of opportunities on these vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the industry is talking about the maintenance factor of BEVs as being 60 or 70% less than ICE uh, vehicles. What they're talking about there is, is the consumables, is the maintenance. But as we're watching, you know, the failure rates uh, of components and, uh, and therefore their diagnostics and the replacement of 
motors or motor bearings or battery packs and these types of things. There's going to be real failure. And, you know, these failed parts will, will need to be diagnosed and, and replaced just like ICE machines. So we think that 60 to 70 percent number that everybody's talking about is is really more realistically 15 to 20 percent over the lifetime of a vehicle once you start replacing some of these uh, really expensive parts. The other thing we're seeing is that the cooling systems on BEVs going forward are much more complicated uh, than an ICE car. And, you know, they're bi-directional valves and intelligent valves, and you've got PTC heaters and heat pumps and all kinds of things going on there that, you know, we haven't had. And that's going to come in and and provide opportunities. Plus, final statement, uh, that BEVs are heavier. Uh, So, uh, you know, they're going to treat the undercar components uh, harsher uh, because of of weight on bearings and things, but also on uh, on torque, the high torque, uh, you know, from the start of of the vehicle. So, you know, we, we see opportunities uh, for the market with BEVs, and uh, we know the shops will, will step up to it. Thank you. Dustin, just before the break, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was uh, kind of piggybacking on what Jennifer's talking about, and even a little bit with Derek when we're looking at the technicians and the shop of the future and what these technicians of the future look like. I think of a great opportunity to improve the consumer's perception of what a, a technician is and what we do. And when you have these facilities that are becoming more advanced, more cleaner, we're attracting different diverse people from many other backgrounds, for technology backgrounds, computer skill backgrounds. I think people are going to start looking at technicians under under a brighter light, not so much that grease monkey uh, picture that they used to reflect us in TV shows and stuff. As so, I'm pretty excited about the future of our industry as it shines a brighter light on us as an industry and and what it truly takes to repair these vehicles and to stay on top of the technology and make everyone in our community safe with the work that we do. And I think um, one of the things when uh, Dustin says about our image of the techs, it's so true that when I talk to all of these young techs, this generation wants to make the world a better place. And they often talk about the fact that they love helping people. And I'm like, what do you mean helping people? And they really do see that this problem solving is helping people's lives safe. It's keeping them on the road. It's keeping the world moving. And so this concept of just burying your technician back in the bays and never letting them be seen, I think that's going to have to shift, or at least that could be a differential for your shop. It doesn't mean they have to be the best communicator, but to not hide them, to let your customers know that you have trained techs. What does that, you know, like we said with the hair, you know, addresser, like what does a level one, level two and really building that respect and that trust that you have qualified, skilled technicians, because as this technology advances, if you don't do the calibration right, if you're off, I mean, when I hear kind of this worry about how dangerous it could be if that calibration isn't done right and the consumer is going to be unsafe because of it. Those are the things that as we advance technology really could have ramifications for people on the road. So bringing them out, letting them kind of be seen and showing that respect for that qualified trained tech is a differential for you. A really quick comment on uh, Jennifer and Tech Force. We were at Apex together and we did a great episode there. If you really want to be inspired by a very young, brilliant person, speaking of 
perception, Dustin, speaking of Goober and Gomer, (laughs) perception of our industry, please listen to episode 798 with uh, young Keyshawn Smith. I couldn't stop telling everyone on the episode how impressed I was with him. But, uh, you know, thank you for all that you guys are doing to bring the perception of youth and our industry together, Jen. That was, that's great. You bet. Well, it is a charitable cause. We believe that everybody needs to find an education and a career that fits them. And this is a darn great industry and we need them. So it's fun to tell the story. So Matt, you are very connected to the industry. How many techs that we have out there are going to make the leap into this world of high tech that we have? Well, I mean, all of them, if they want to stay doing it. I mean, that's the reality. We're, we're talking about uh, changing the image. And part of that is not just the image of capability or skill sets, how fun the job is, stuff like that. Part of it too is the image people can see. You're pulling into a restaurant in your nice vehicle. And don't get me wrong, like there's that's complexity to this, but in general, the kids go over to their friend's house and it's a really nice house. And it's like, geez, what did your dad do? What does your mom do? Oh, she works at a repair shop. That helps too. That's part of the image, right? People don't go running over, find out what you do for a living when you uh, aren't living in a nice house or driving a nice car. Not that you need to go into like social status type stuff, but it's part of it. I think it's changing though. I think this is becoming more and more competitive with our other skilled trades. And eventually it's going to uh, not only catch up, but succeed them. And it's going to be one of them choices where I have to figure this out. I have to learn about this so I can stay doing this. Because I don't have my marketable skills aren't such that I can now jump from shop to shop anymore. I have to be able to take on this EV car. I have to bring in this uh, ICE vehicle or internal combustion engine and chase down a check engine light, or you know, even the other skills that get really overlooked: noise, vibration, harshness, stuff like that. You know, that's becoming its own thing uh, with the complexity of drivetrains. We need special equipment to help narrow down. The root cause of it, you know, our butt sensors aren't good enough anymore. We need more complex, more sophisticated equipment. And uh, I think that to stay in this profession, and I think it's going to be a a good thing to want. You know, it's going to be very reasonable for people to want to stay doing this for the long term. They're going to have to. There's no choice. This is what's coming in the door. You better know how to do it. And yet that takes an investment by industry. Because I By think too often, you know, people get stuck in a bay and they don't get out to training or a shop owner doesn't invest and they don't learn the technology. And then, you know, I hear too many techs who leave the industry because they say they're stuck. They know they need to have better training, but they can't get the time off to do it or they don't get the support. And, you know, ultimately we're not paying. So don't you think, Matt, that there's a challenge in that of going, how the heck do we start to raise the profile of the investment, both from a compensation and a training standpoint? It'd be like any profession that demands it of its uh, members. It's just the way it is. That's what they would do. They think, I don't know if they think nothing of it, but it's common for them to invest not only in the training class itself, but the employee in this case, we're speaking generically, to send them to it, to pay them to be there. And systems in place, like the the systems in place in the shop kind of cultivate that type of a mentality of constant improvement. A lot of times we steal uh, or suck out that passion. They come in young, uh, or not even young, just new to the profession, and they're eager. And we have a—we're really good at just sucking that right out of them because 
Uh, so myriad of reasons, right? We, we know anybody that listens to Carmen's podcast, they know why. They've heard it. There's over a thousand episodes that plainly explain why. And it's, we can't keep it up because the new shop owners, uh, and Dustin's probably one of them, that's not the way it is. And guess where everybody's going to go then? There's some good things happening with the way the profession is going that's forcing people's hands to kind of do the right thing. I was talking to two shop owners in the last two or three days about getting their people to training, paying for them to, you know, to go to an event, taking them to an event. And they said they don't want to go. I'll take your spouse. We'll have a really good time. You don't have to go to the social events if you don't want. No, it's okay. And I got so crazy, so upset. Friends of mine, I didn't want them to see the dark side of me by screaming and yelling at them because maybe the culture inside the business isn't right. Or the word, I think you may have said it, Matt, demand of your people or require it as part of employment. Well, okay, so they don't do the the 40 hours this year. Well, maybe they don't earn the same amount of money because they haven't invested their time. I'll pay for the training. I'll pay for your time. The whole thing. No one seems to want to go. So it goes back to the whole thing, Dustin, about the professionalism of our industry. You know, do we have to have technicians wearing ties but underneath their lab coat in order to improve? I'm only kidding. But that's the professionalism that we need to have. So I, I know that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> and so don't go too deep on me here. We definitely have to require training because um, I'm in the same boat. Hey, I got this training. I'll pay for it. It's I'll pay you to go. It's electric vehicles. And, nah, you know, so there, there's a double-edged sword there. So to try to keep uh, you guys engaged, keep them involved, to keep them willing and wanting to do the training. It's so tough because especially when you uh, do full electric vehicle. Yeah, they go to this training and they might see one or two of those in the next six months, right? It's a challenge, but we we require uh, ongoing training with our techs and with our our sales and office staff, and we try to get everybody engaged in it. Uh, an old thing we've had good success at is doing it in house and stepping away from maybe something put on by a part vendor or or a part house. And we just do it in-house. And that way, people are talking about their own issues, their own struggles. And there's more hands-on there. And and we're really focusing on their deficiencies as individuals and not kind of trying to blanket them in a class that room environment where they do they're going to get fed a bunch of fried chicken and asked to stay awake all night after work. Derek mentioned, and I even think Matt dovetailed this whole thing of integrated circuit board repairers, okay? And from your perspective, Dustin, do you see, uh, you know, that little white room in the, in the back that you've got circuit boards out there and, and you're repairing them? No, this actually piggies back on something Matt said about that stuff gets subletted out. We, do, we don't have the facilities. We're going to send it to somebody who specialized in it and someone who's focused on it. Uh, our guys need to learn so much about so many variable things as being a, a neighborhood repair shop that I can't expect. You have to know what you're trying to do in the industry and in the industry of the future, what you're good at, and what you're not good at, and direct your customers to the, to the people that are able to do that repair for it. But we have pulled them out and sent them out. So we do see chip repairs happening, but we are not seeing them at an in-house level. And I have a hard time seeing that being like a big part of what a typical auto shop is going to look like in 10 years. I think it's really going to be a specialized Derek, let me throw this at you now about our generations and how that's literally going to potentially affect how we do things. Gen Z's 
uh, Gen Xers that are coming up, we have to pay attention to them and the habits that they're going to have in vehicle ownership, how they think about getting their car repaired. And part of what we're talking about here, I agree with what Dustin's saying, is a matter of maybe a volume, you know, in the industry. At some point, the shop doesn't have a, a choice but to, you know, make the conversion in or, you know, can we exist in the specialty shops forever, you know, going forward. But um, if you think about, you know, where this is, you know, this is all, all going, I think it goes toward what the manufacturing community did years ago. And it might have been the uh, Dr. Deming or the, uh, the Toyota manufacturing system. We, we went to more of a standard work approach. And I, I think the, you know, part of this thing is, you know, just thinking about all these new systems, uh, you know, coming in that shops will, I think, bring more of a standard work approach. And one of the things that private equity firms are saying, and the reason they're coming in and they're buying the 10 shop company or the 20 shop company and rolling them up is they see a consistency of service from an MSO platform, uh, having a standard work to it that brings quality and consistency to the end product. So I think maybe that could be where the, uh, the industry is going. The MSO angle here, the shop of the future, is probably not going to be a single shop. I mean, in, in majority, like we have today. Especially as some of the, you know, some of the more intricate systems come up and, uh, and the regulation and the certification go up along with it, uh, that the consistency of service that's brought to you by a, a multi-shop you know, or store uh, operation uh, might win the day uh, going forward. I don't think that in transportation as a service, the business models for task companies will be differentiated by the type of service they employ uh, because you need to keep the uptime of the car as high as, as possible. I don't think centralized shops, putting a whole bunch of infrastructure in to build a centralized shop and deadheading vehicles back to it is the way of the future. I really think it is a lot more shops but a lot more shops that have a standardized approach to what they're doing. So the consistency and the quality of the repairs that, you know, is the same on, on every vehicle or, or more of the same. I, I see that's the way it's kind of unfolding. Wow. Incredible think right there. Love that. Let's go around the room. I love this. Thank you very much. I don't think we solved the industry's problems or crises, but I think we brought a lot of great think in the decisions that we want to make in our future and the commitments we make to our team, to our market, to our companies is really embroiled in an awful lot of this discussion. We'll do uh, Jennifer, Dustin, Derek, and Matt. Jennifer, you go first. Any final words? Well, I'm always on the side of the technicians, so I'll say respect techs, invest in them. They still, for the next 30 years... Uh, you can do all the technology you want, but I still believe technicians are the backbone of your bottom line. I mean, I don't think there's one person here that would disagree. And thank you for all that you do with Tech Force. We sure appreciate it. Dustin? Uh, I think the future looks bright. It's exciting. We're in an exciting industry. Uh, and I just love all the different people in our industry helping us solve some of these problems, whether it's Jennifer helping us with the tech shortage, uh, Derek helping us understand what's in the pipeline and what we can expect. And then Matt with his uh, boots to the ground approach, letting us know kind of what we're seeing today. So with the community that we have as an industry is fantastic. And I see a bright future. I think there's a lot of optimism to be had and excitement. Hey, thanks so much for your outlook, Dustin. I appreciate you always coming on the show. Derek. 
I'll echo those words. I love the industry. It, it's just one of the most innovative industries there is because, you know, think about the amount of technology change that this industry has seen over the, over the years, and it just keeps rolling. My final word would be this. I think as an industry, we need to take this thing back to the school systems uh, and simply insist uh, that our school systems kind of re-engage from a technology standpoint and a training standpoint, and frankly, see the great jobs that technicians in the auto industry can be and, and not be afraid for the education system to go right at that avenue. Thanks for that, Derek. In the next uh, two weeks, or at least in the last two weeks of December, I'm interviewing uh, on Aftermarket Weekly an intern at a shop and... At the career days at the local community college, of which I'm an advisor of, we had a great interview with a female student who wants to be a technician. I love doing interviews with young people about our industry. So thank you for that commitment, and and I'm all on board with that. Uh, Thanks for that, Derek. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for all of your great future think. Matt, give you the last word. Man, you like to roll the dice. Uh, I'm still kind of gushing over Derek mentioning Dr. W. Edwards Deming. I just love that. And then he stole my idea with the whole history thing. But that's kind of <laughs> the point is anybody that doesn't research or study history is doomed to repeat it. And historically, this profession has changed uh, over the decades significantly, uh, even from my stint in it, where we're kind of ending the carburetor world. And starting the fuel injection world, I got in on the very, very tail end of carburetors. We didn't really study them in school anymore because the idea was you're just not going to see them. And just think about stuff like if you started doing wheel alignments back in the day compared to the latest from, you know, whatever vendor, we're up and running in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, we're doing the alignment and the machine is giving us, uh, even as somebody that doesn't really know suspension steering theory, they can still get a properly aligned vehicle with a straight steering wheel. I guess if I was going to have a, a single thought to try to round it or you know tie it all up would be make a conscious effort to be like water. And we kind of see projections from Dustin and Jennifer and Derek about where this could go. And if you really focus a little bit on being like water and malleable, and watching how the market goes and having these ideas about maybe multiple uh, shops or multiple stores and maybe thinking more, not like the big Taj garage, but maybe some smaller specialty shops all under this big umbrella is one idea or whatever it is. But putting yourself in the best position possible as an owner to be malleable, to be able to do these things. And then as a technician, we've always had to be malleable. You have to, if you're going to stay with it and have a long career in this, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to learn new technology and keep helping uh, our shops produce properly repaired, properly serviced vehicles and giving our clientele the best possible service experiences we can. I mean, that's the name of the game. It looks like you got to be malleable. There's the word of the episode. Thank you so much, Jennifer Mahar, Executive Director, TechForce, TechForce.org, Matt Bonslow, Riverside Automotive, Red Wing, Minnesota, Derek Kaufman, Managing Partner, Schwartz Advisors, and Dustin Brown, Brown's Auto Experts, three locations, New Mexico. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom to this, in fact, great futuristic episode. Thanks. Thank you, Carl. 
Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.